Good morning, New Life. My name is Chris. If you're new here, newer here, I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. Happy that you're here this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, uh, turn it on, make a beeline to the book of Galatians. We're going to be camping out in chapter 6 this morning. I apologize in advance. I'm uh, fighting off a bit of a head cold, and I feel kind of like I'm, I'm speaking in a fishbowl or something. And uh, so if I, if I seem just a little more uh, subdued uh, than I usually do, it's not because I've lost my passion for Jesus. I just, uh, I'm trying to get my voice through uh, preaching a second service this morning. And so, uh, listen, if you've been around a little while, you know we've been in Galatians uh, all summer long. Uh, today, we're going to start to wind down that series, and then we'll put the finishing touches on it uh, together next Sunday, God willing. Um, if you've been around a while, you know that Paul is writing Galatians, which is, of course, a, a letter to new church plants, which were full of new Christians in an area in the Middle East called Galatia. And the whole point of this letter that Paul is writing is that all we need is Jesus. And so he argues just ferociously that as believers, we shouldn't add religion to the gospel and become legalists. And he also argues ferociously that we shouldn't subtract from the simple gospel and fall into license. And license is just this idea that, hey, you know what, God is... God is good, God is loving, God is a God of forgiveness. And so because of that, we should just do what we want. We should just live like hell, do whatever feels good in the moment because God is just going to forgive us anyway. And Paul argues that both are, are really nasty gospel distortions that will ultimately rob us of the freedom that Christ has purchased for us on the cross. Now, last week, we saw the, the difference between the fruits of the flesh that lead to death and the, the fruit of the spirit that leads to life and freedom. And then in chapter six today, Paul is about to unpack for us uh, what a spirit-filled life looks like. So when the fruit of the spirit is active in our lives, in the life of a Christ follower, what, is our, what does our life begin to look like, practically speaking? That's what Paul is gonna be uh, breaking down for us today in the first 10 verses of chapter six. So let's jump right in. Galatians chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1, and we just kind of read a verse or two, and then we'll pick it apart together. That's kind of the way we do it here. All right, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so Paul's just talking about any kind of sin here. You who are spiritual are the more mature believers, so like if you've been walking with Jesus for a period of time, uh, should restore him, the person in sin, in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so let me, let me just kind of ask you a hypothetical question this morning. Like if you were to find out that somebody in your community group or Bible study or whatever group you're in here, you were to find out that somebody is trapped in some sort of uh, destructive sin pattern in his or her life, should, that, should your response to finding out that information, so, so should your response be, ha I finally busted you, you dirty little sinner. I knew there was something nasty about you, man. I cannot wait until I just email the elders and ask the whole church to pray for your heathen self, right? So that, that on the one hand, that could be the response. On the other hand, your response could be just to, just to ignore the whole thing entirely because you're a coward and you're, you're scared to, to confront anybody. You're just scared of confrontation. So which one is the appropriate response? You guys are so, yeah, neither. 
Paul says, listen, if you, if you see a brother or sister trapped, entangled, caught in sin, your role is to restore them, to restore them in a gentle way. Now, it's important to note here that the word that Paul uses for caught, if you catch somebody in sin, the, the idea behind that word isn't that you're like the sin police. You know, I think a lot of us, we kind of think that that's like our role in the kingdom is that we're the sin police. So, so your job once you come to faith in Christ isn't to like sniff around the world and people's life trying to detect people's holiness level, like with your moral antenna up. Like, I know there's a sinner in here. I'm gonna find them and I'm gonna find out what they do so I can just nail it. That's not what Paul is saying here. The goal is not to expose someone by shaming them. The goal is also not to ignore their brokenness. The idea here that Paul gives us is that of restoration. Restoration. In fact, that word restore that Paul uses, it's actually a, it's a medical term that literally means setting a broken bone. Setting a broken bone. So just imagine... If you will, man, you're, we're in the mountains, right? So imagine that you are out for a, a hike on one of these beautiful trails that we have here in the Blue Ridge uh, Mountains with your, whatever, your family, your friends, whatever. And uh, just imagine that somebody on the hike with you, they fall on this trail and they just, they snap their arm. I mean, the thing is just dangling, like the bone's sticking out. I mean, just a really nasty situation. Are you gonna go up to your friend or family member and say, ha! <laughs> Hey, everybody, come look at this idiot. Like, how did you trip? This is a beginner's trail. Like, my five-year-old could do this trail in his sleep. Would you say that? Some of you sickos probably would. Or would you pretend like nothing was wrong? Just kind of look around like, hey, I'm getting hungry. What do you want to go eat after this? Which one would you do? Well, listen, if you, if you love that person, if you love that family member or that friend, you're going to do neither of those things. You're going to jump in there. Maybe you're going to tie a tourniquet, right, on the broken limb to slow the bleeding. You're going to try to gently stabilize the broken bone. And then you're going to try to get them to the hospital so they can get some pain meds and get a cast. Right? You, you wouldn't ignore the issue. You would address it, but you would address it very, very gently. And Paul says, that's how you handle it. That's how you handle it with brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if we were just being 100% honest with one another today. Most of us don't live this way. We don't kind of live out this truth with other people in our lives. And the truth of the matter is we don't even let people get close enough to us so that they can live this out in our lives. Now, see, the early church seemed to practice this really well. In fact, if you were here earlier this summer, you remember in Galatians chapter 2, uh, this scene where the apostle Paul challenges the apostle Peter when he was being tempted to kind of sell out on the simple gospel. So you had, you had this picture of the two titans of the early church movement just kind of squaring off. Those guys were friends. Those guys loved each other, and they loved each other enough to kind of square off and call each other out when they were falling into dangerous patterns. So the question is, why, why don't we operate that way as a church today? Why don't we seem to, to practice what came so naturally to the first century church? And, and I think this is why. I think there's a reason I think we have lost the truth in the American church that the church is not an institution. The church is not an institution and the church is not a social club. Church is a family. See, when Jesus, when Jesus saved you, he didn't, he didn't just save you from sin, death, and hell. He did save you from all of those things, but he also saved you into something. He saved you into a family. And in a family, we have responsibility for one another. And just as an aside, 
you need to find these people in your life. Like if I were just, just, just to ask you this morning, how many people do you have in your life right now who would look you right in the eyeballs and just call you to the carpet because they love you? Just say, that's wrong. The way you're treating your spouse is wrong. The way you're neglecting your kids is, is wrong. How many people do you have in your life right now that have that kind of access to your life? And by the way, this, what Paul's talking about, this idea of restoring one another in a gentle way, this happens in the context of relationship. Relationship, community, friendship. Like if there were, if there were somebody who were here who had been here for like a week or two weeks or three weeks and they were to, to walk up to me after the church service this morning and they were to say, hey, Chris, listen, I just wanna, I just wanna call you out. I just wanna call you out because I saw you at a restaurant uh, earlier this week with your family. I couldn't really tell, but it looked to me like you had two hamburgers instead of one. And so you're falling into the sin of gluttony, and I just want you to repent right, right here in front of me. I'm going to be thinking, who are you? Who are you? You don't know me. You, you don't have the relational equity to speak into my life, which incidentally is why you should be in a community group or a Bible study, or some small circle here, so people actually know who you are, and you can actually know who they are. Like All this stuff that Paul is talking about happens within the framework of relationships and community. It doesn't happen here. Like What we do on Sunday morning is really important, like corporate worship, shared generosity, proclaiming the gospel, the gospel, celebrating baptism, all that stuff, super important. But listen, the hard work of fleshing this stuff out in the hard places in your life, in my life, that can't happen here. It can't happen here. It happens in, in small circles, not in rows, in a room of hundreds of people. It happens in relationship. And so Paul is saying, listen, as a family, we have to, listen, we have to love one another enough and we have to be in each other's life to the extent that we can have conversations like this with somebody. Hey man, listen, I... I love you, but I am concerned. I'm concerned that I see you working 70 hours a week and you're neglecting your wife and you're neglecting your kids and they need you. You need to stop. Our sister, listen, I, I, I love you, but, but I'm concerned that every time that, that cute coworker of yours walks in the room, who, by the way, isn't your husband, your eyes light up. And you get really flirtatious. And I just want to tell you, be, be careful, sister. The enemy has set about traps in our, in our lives. Listen, we, we have to have people in our lives where those types of conversations can happen. And they can happen regularly. So Paul says, listen, be in each other's lives. Restore one another with gentleness. But Paul gives us a warning. He says, be careful in the process. Be careful lest you fall into the same trap. And listen, this happens all the time. If I had a dollar for every story I've heard of a pastor or a counselor who is trying to help somebody and then they end up falling into some sin pattern themselves and now the rescuer needs to be rescued themselves. Listen, it's easy. It happens all the time. And so Paul is saying, listen, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall into the same trap as the brother or the sister that you're trying to help gently restore so here's the first truth Paul would give us this morning. Number one, it's restore the broken. 
Restore the broken and do it from a place of love. Do it in a spirit of gentleness. Do it in the context of relationship, but do it. We need one another. We need one another. You guys probably remember the, the story in the Gospels of the woman who was caught in adultery. Do you guys remember that story? And uh, she literally, she's caught in the act. And the Pharisees, these religious legalists, grab her and they drag her to Jesus where he's at. And they just kind of throw her before Jesus. And they say, Jesus, look, the law of Moses says that we should stone anybody caught in the act of adultery. What do you say that we should do? And so the Bible says that Jesus stoops down and he begins to write something in the, in the dust, in the dirt. And we don't know what Jesus was writing, like scholars speculate. Maybe he was, maybe he was writing the sins of the Pharisees. So, but they begin to press him, like, Jesus, we got our stones here. The Bible is clear. This is what, this has to happen. This has got to go down. And so Jesus stands up and he's like, okay, listen, if we're going to do this, let's do it. But here's the deal. The first one of you guys that has never sinned, I want you to cast the first stone. And slowly, one by one, those guys who are ready to murder that woman begin to drop their stones and they begin to turn and they begin to walk away until it was just Jesus and this woman. And Jesus looks at her and he says, well, where, where are all your accusers? Where, where did they go? Does nobody condemn you? And she looks up at Jesus and she says, no, nobody condemns me. And he says, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now see, the, the Pharisees wanted to destroy that woman, but Jesus wanted to restore her. You see, we're, we're called to restore. We're not called to destroy, and we're also not called to ignore. You notice Jesus didn't ignore her sin, right? He didn't just say, hey, you, you, you go do you, right? You want to go live a promiscuous lifestyle? You, that's fine. You do you. He didn't ignore it. He said, no, listen, go and sin no more. But his goal was to restore her in love, in gentleness, not to destroy her. And as Jesus is our example, we must follow him. Verse number two, be, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So restore those who are broken and right along with that, bear each other's burdens. Now, we all have burdens, don't we? And every single one of us this morning walked in this room with some burden. For you, maybe it's financial in nature. Maybe it's uh, relational. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe there's uh, a health issue that's a burden for you. Maybe you walked in here with a really messy past. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Every single one of us walked in this room with a burden. And Paul says, listen, you guys have to learn how to bear each other's burdens. Watch for them. And when you see them, don't turn a blind eye. And don't, and listen, this is one of my pet peeves in the American church. Don't just say you'll pray for them. Look, prayer is important. I hope that you pray for people. I hope that you pray for their burdens. But it's a cop-out to just say, I'll pray for you, and then not lift a finger to do anything to help them bear their burden. It's a, it's a, it's a cop-out. right? Sometimes you are the answer to their prayer. So Paul says, look, you work to lighten their load. Devote yourself to help those who are drowning in life. When people are hurting, Paul would say, come alongside them. And in so doing, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. You remember in the New Testament, Jesus said the whole Old Testament law, all 613 commandments in the Old Testament, all of them can be summed up in love God with everything that you have. And love your neighbor as what? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And do you know who you love a lot? You love yourself a lot, like super a lot. When you get hungry, who do you feed? <laughs> you. <laughs> when you get thirsty, who do you give a drink to? You. <laughs> All right? When you get cold, who do you give a jacket to or a sweatshirt to? You, right? You take care of you really, really, really well. And Jesus, and then Paul is saying, look, you need to do that for others. You need to love other people like that. And that's the second truth that Paul's going to give us this morning. Be a burden bearer. Be a burden bearer. Listen, carry each other's pain. Carry each other's pain. In the gospel, Jesus said, listen, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By your moral superiority, by your theological knowledge, by your political party affiliation. No. Jesus said, listen, the world will look at you and they will know that you belong to me when you love one another. Believer, we, ha- we must be marked by this. We have to love each other. We have to carry each other's burdens. Listen, we are not like family. We are a family in Jesus. We're a family. We're a spiritual family. Paul says love each other that way. Carry each other's burdens that way. Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I love Paul. This is, this is how I want to counsel people, but I don't have the guts to do it this way. Paul's like, Paul's like, you think you're somebody? You're nobody. It's like, thanks, thanks, Paul. But Paul's saying, listen, a lot of you won't carry other people's burdens because you think you're too important. It's pride. It's arrogance. And so the thought is something like this. Man, I, I don't have time to help that single mom with four kids this weekend because my kid has 14 soccer tournaments this weekend and I can't miss any of them. Right, so she'll, she'll be okay. She'll, she'll figure it out. Or man, I, I know that guy in my community group, he just got laid off and he's struggling to feed his family right now and his tires are bald and I know he's struggling. I know he needs some help buying those, those tires, but man, if I, if I give him a hundred bucks, man, I won't be able to buy that $6 latte on the, work to ever, on the way to work every day. Or man, I, I, I know they need uh, like preschool volunteers at church, but I'm above that. Like, I should be teaching. I should be on stage leading worship, not holding babies or changing diapers. I'm, I, that's, that's beneath me. And Paul would say, you think you're something, you're nothing. You think you're something, you're nothing. Thanks, Paul. I love Paul. I want to be Paul when I grow up. Now, most of us wouldn't say, we wouldn't say it that way, right? We wouldn't say, I'm, I'm too important to stoop to those levels. But listen to me. That's how many of us live our lives. That's how many of you spend your time. That's how many of you invest your resources and your money. You're saying, by the way that you live, it's really all about me. It's all about me. I don't need to to stoop to, to bear anybody else's burdens. And Paul would say, friend, careful. Careful, Jesus said that they'll know you belong to him by how you love and you care for one another. Have you ever noticed as you kind of go through the gospels, have you ever noticed that Jesus was pretty much, he was loving and he was gentle with everybody that he came across except one group, the Pharisees, right? The legalistic religious people who knew better, right? I mean, they had the whole 
Bible memorized. They knew better, and yet they chose to live arrogant, self-righteous lives. And one of his accusations against the Pharisees was that they would heap heavy burdens upon the people, but they wouldn't even lift a finger to help them carry those burdens. And the reality of it is, for some of us, even as believers, we live our lives more like Pharisees than disciples. And that is not okay. Now, here's maybe a healthy question for all of us to ask, just kind of in a self-examination way. When's the last time you went out of your way or sacrificed something in your life to carry somebody else's burden? When's the last time? If you can't remember or you're struggling to remember or you're thinking, yeah, back in 87, I think I raked my grandma's yard. If that's you, Paul's talking to you this morning. Paul is reminding us that ultimately this whole thing, this whole life, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his kingdom. And listen, there should be nothing beneath the Christian. This should just be a mark of our lives, loving one another, caring for each other's burdens. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. Now, doesn't it seem like at least at first glance that Paul is contradicting himself here? I mean, the whole thing so far has been about carrying each other's burdens. And now Paul, all of a sudden, he's like, carry your own load, you lazy bum. Now, it would be a contradiction if that's what Paul was really saying, but that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, listen, is there is a real danger in comparing ourselves to one another. Because when we do that, it's easy to either get prideful or depressed, okay? So you compare yourself to the bum that's sitting next to you on Sunday morning who shows up, you know, once a quarter to the church and he doesn't serve and he doesn't give, he doesn't do anything. It's pretty easy to feel good about yourself sitting next to that guy, right? You're like, man, I've got it going on. I'm doing a lot better than him. But then you compare yourself to the other guy who led 35 people to Jesus since last weekend and baptized them all in his tub you're going to feel pretty depressed, right? Like, man, I'm a, I'm a major loser. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. And Paul says, listen, God gives everyone, he gives every son, he gives every daughter a role in the kingdom. Everyone has a gift. That's your load to carry. It's not a burden. See, Paul, Paul, Paul uses this word earlier for, for burden, and it literally means something that's too heavy for one person to carry by themselves. That's a burden. We're to help each other carry burdens. The Greek word that he uses for carry your own load, the idea is like, it's like a backpack, right? So it's, it's something easy to put on. It's something easy to carry by yourself. You just, you just, need, to, you just need to do it. So let me give you a, a four instance to kind of help us uh, hopefully differentiate between uh, burden and, and load. So for instance, let's say there's a, there's a young guy who uh, just lays around all day, uh, he won't get a job, plays Xbox nine hours a day in his mom's basement eating Cheetos, and he comes to me and he says, uh, hey, listen, Chris, I, uh, I heard your sermon, and uh, I, I really like what you said last week. I, I need some new tires on my car um, because the Bible says that you should help me bear my burden, so I'm really feeling impressed from the Lord 
that you should buy me some tires and be faithful to your own preaching. Right? I'm going to look at that guy and I'm going to tell him to stop being a lazy schmuck and go get a job. Right? In the name of Jesus. Right? That, that's not a burden. That guy needs to carry his own load. He needs to do what God has called him to do. See, we are to carry each other's burdens, but we are also to carry our own load, our own spiritual backpack, the responsibilities that the Lord gives us. You understand the difference? Burden, load. All right, verse six. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. I'm gonna be honest. Verses like this, as a pastor, tend to make me really uncomfortable and they make me feel very awkward to have to teach because they can feel very self-serving. Um, but it's here, so I'm not going to skip it. Uh, Paul, Paul is saying part of the spirit-filled life, part of caring for one another is the care for those in the body who teach the word. And so what I got from that, if you're looking for a practical application, which I, I'm sure that you are, Christmas is coming up in a few months. <laughs> And I love Mac products and exotic vacations. So just file that if you really want to follow this verse. Uh, I'm, I'm joking, of course. Paul, Paul is not saying that pastors should be flying around in private jets to their second uh, beach house in Malibu. Uh, in fact, I think there's probably a special place in hell for prosperity preachers who become wealthy by lying to poor people. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that because I'm going to get fired up and I'm going to start yelling. I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable. So we'll just stop there. And we'll just say, Paul, Paul is saying, take care of your teachers. Just take care, take care of, of your teachers. And just so you know, New Life does that. Our staff is well cared for here. I'm well cared for here. And so thank you for your generosity now, some of you know that our leadership team feels like we need to, in the months ahead, add a family and children's pastor and an outreach and missions pastor to our staff to kind of take that next step towards becoming the church that we believe God has called us to be. And that's a church that is just unapologetically focused on relational discipleship, making disciples, multiplying disciples in our homes, with our families, and then in our city here in Asheville and around the world. And listen, that's, that's going to necessitate some generosity to pull that vision off. And so I would just encourage you, hey, if you're here, you're part of the New Life family. Listen, if you're a guest, if you're new here, tune out. I'm not talking to you. But if you're here, you're one of our team members, you would consider this place your church home. And if you're not already practicing financial generosity, listen, now would be a really fantastic time to start. Not so I could go get a private jet or a beach house in Malibu, although the beach house would be pretty sweet. Not, not, not for any of those reasons, but simply so that we could take the next steps that we feel like God is asking us to take as a church family together. So to sum all of that up, and this is our third truth this morning, Paul is simply saying, believer, be generous. Just be generous. Even with your finances. Be generous so the gospel can go forth. Be generous so the kingdom can expand. Give financially to the cause. Care for your leaders. Let's push the mission forward together. That's all Paul is saying there. Verse 7. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So Paul gives us this really critically important life principle, this law of life here. And he uses an agricultural kind of a farming illustration to make it easy for us to understand. See, Paul says we all have a choice. We all have a choice in life. We can either sow or we can invest in our flesh. And that looks like just doing whatever you want in life. Do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good in the moment. And Paul says, that's fine. You can, you can live that way if you want. You just, you just need to understand there's a consequence to living that way. You see, you plant seeds of death, you grow fruits of decay. Because God will not be mocked. But then Paul says, listen, if you, if you sow seeds, if you invest in the Spirit, you'll, in, you'll, you'll reap an incredible life of purpose that will extend into eternity. So like, if you're wondering right now, if you're wondering like, man, why am I not growing spiritually? I think Paul would just ask you, what seeds are you sowing in your life right now? What seeds are you sowing? Are you feeding the flesh, your flesh, or are you feeding your spirit by walking with Jesus? See, what I've, what I've found in, in my life is that usually when I'm not growing, when I'm in a kind of a dry uh, desert spiritually, not, not usually, always really, when I find myself in those places, it's, it's always my fault. It's never God's fault. It, it's always my fault. You see, I, I talk to people all the time, and we have these conversations that go like this, like, man, I, I just feel distant from God. I just feel like he's not present in my life. I feel like he's far away. And so we'll talk, and I say, okay, li- listen, this week, this is what I want you to do. I want you to carve out 10 minutes a day, and I want you to go through whatever, the Gospel of Matthew, and I want you to pray for these three things. And inevitably, most of the time, we'll meet the next week, and I'll ask them how I go. Oh, man, I got busy, man. Lawnmower broke down. Didn't have time to really do it, right? Or another guy comes up and he, he's like, Chris, man, my, my marriage is just in shambles. Like, we're just wrecked. I'm miserable. She's miserable. And I'll say, okay, let, listen, let's, let's unpack that. And here's, here's what I want you to do for your wife, with your wife, over the course of the next couple of weeks. And inevitably, I'll, I'll see him again. I'll ask him how it went. Ah, oh, man, you know, started strong the first day, the second day, and then work got hectic. And I want to say, listen, your, your marriage is garbage because you're lazy. Now, I wouldn't say that. Paul would say that to him, right? Or I meet people all the time. They're like, hey, I'm lonely. I don't have any Christian friends. I come home at night. And I sit on my couch by myself watching Netflix. I'm just, I'm lonely. I'll say, listen, fine. We have almost 30 community groups. Just find a group. Find a Bible study, man's Bible study, women. Find something. And then I'll run into him like two months later at a restaurant or the grocery store, right? Still lonely, still not in a group. Paul says, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And Paul is basically saying, don't give up. 
Don't give up. It's so easy to get discouraged in doing the right thing, isn't it? I mean, it just is. Some of you I know, you've been praying for somebody in your life for years, maybe for decades, and it's hard, and it's discouraging, and you want to give up. Some of you I know, man, you've been inviting that friend, that coworker, that neighbor for months or years to come to dinner in your home or to come to your group or to come to this church for a really long time, and it's hard, and it's discouraging. And just this week, man, I was... I was feeling really discouraged about a certain situation that I'm uh, dealing with in my life. And to be honest with you, uh, on Tuesday, I was just, I was throwing myself a little pity party. I was just like, man, I'm over this. I'm so over this. I'm done with this. And then I come in and this is my text to preach. Thank you, God, for that. (laughs) Good reminder. And some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to hear that right now in this moment because where you're at in your life right now is you're at the place where you want to give up. And you're right on the verge. You're just standing on the precipice of of throwing your towel in, of waving the white flag of surrender. And God is saying to you in this moment through his word, by the power of his spirit in this room, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. You can't do this, but I can do it. And I can do it through you. I remember hearing this true story of a missionary couple who served a long time ago uh, the place that we lived for a couple years in in Indonesia. And they, they spent their entire careers there. So they went in their 20s. They left in their 60s, 35, 40 years. And um, they saw no converts. They saw zero fruit. And after 40 years, they they retired and they felt defeated and they felt discouraged. Perhaps they even felt like they had wasted their lives. Some years later, a man that they had shared with in prison through a prison ministry became a follower of Jesus because of their investment in him. And he was a charismatic guy by nature, and he was released from prison. And he started a church planting movement that saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. Now, as far as I know, they never found out that their labor was not in vain. But listen to me, they never gave up. They never gave up. They never stopped doing good. They never stopped sharing Jesus. And listen, because they never gave up, thousands and thousands of Indonesians will be in heaven one day. And so here's here's the big idea, and then we're done. Number four, keep doing good to people. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. In due season, God will bring the fruit. You keep doing good to, to everyone. And especially to those in the faith, because listen, if we can't even love each other well in here, how are we going to do it out there? Right, it starts in here. It starts with loving each other. It starts with bearing each other's burdens. And then it it bleeds out into our neighborhoods and our city and the world. So Paul would say, listen, love each other well. Carry each other's burdens. Challenge one another in love in a gentle way. Sow good seed. And the good fruit will come. It will come in due time. It will come in due season. Let me pray for us. Father, 
living a spirit-filled life, a life full of the fruit of your spirit, it's, that type of life is impossible for us on our own. God, it's impossible. I would just confess that it, that it is. We're t- as a people, we're too selfish. We're too self-absorbed. We're, we're too weak-minded apart from you and your spirit. And so, Father, would you, would you help us to do what we could never do on our own? Would you help us to become each day, increasingly, each week, more and more like your son, Jesus? God, would you, would you help us to, to begin to live more like him? Help us begin to, to love more like him, to care more like him, to carry people's burdens like he did. And then, God, in the process of us beginning to learn to, to live in that way, to live the spirit-filled life, God. As we do that, would you, would you just begin to draw more and more people into your kingdom, God? Would you draw men and women and little boys and little girls to yourself as they see us increasingly live a life of love, Increasingly live a life of care, of sharing each other's pain and carrying each other's burdens, God. Because that lifestyle is so foreign in our culture. So, Father, would you help us to live that kind of that kind of countercultural lifestyle that would just be winsome and appealing to those around us, Father? And we ask all those things, we pray for all those things for our good for your glory, all in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.